And then, uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. I'm going to go there in just a bit. Kind of been out of pocket the last two weeks. This, this last week, my family, we spent at Pine Cove Family Camp. Had tons of fun. Two summers ago, I got to teach at Pine Cove Family Camp, which was awesome. We loved it so much. We said, we're going back, even though I'm not teaching. And so this summer, this past week, we were at Pine Cove Family Camp. And I'm scheduled to teach again next summer, the week of July 7th through the 13th. And my wife and I, and girls, would love to invite any of you all who want to be a part of that to come. If you've never experienced Pine Cove Family Camp or something like it, it's just absolutely awesome. It's just an incredible experience as a family. Uh, Top-notch staff, really good food, great accommodations. They take care of your kiddos basically from dawn until dusk. And it's just a whole lot of fun and Christ-centered fun. So next summer, July 7th through the 13th, there won't be a whole lot of spots available, but we just wanted to invite you all to join us next summer for that. Of course, the week before that, I was climbing Mount Rainier. I promise you I'm not going to worry you about Mount Rainier stories. I understand there's an over-under bet on how many stories I'll tell from the pulpit about Mount Rainier. But I have been asked time and time again, hey, how hard was it? Was it hard? Was it difficult? I had a short video I want to show you, and I want you to look at my face, and you can tell whether or not it was hard. Right? There's also another face that shows up in the video, and you'll see it wasn't so hard for him. Let's watch this video. All right, here I am. It's Tuesday, June 19th. I'm sorry this morning at uh, IMG. I have a breakfast, two, two and a half hour show ride around. Put on our packs and started walking. And we walked and walked and walked and walked and started climbing. We're now, what they say, 7,500, 7, 7,800, something like that, 7,800 feet. We've got our tent set up. It's raining a little bit outside, sleeting. And uh, they're making us dinner. I'm exhausted. Right. Come in. I was young. Yeah. I'm exhausted. I'm glad to be here. Oh, he just ruined my trip. He ruined my trip. Because he just snapped my back. It was not as hard for Ryan, as you can tell. But that was just after day one, and I was beat. But. It worked out. So, Mount Rainier for a week, family camp for a week. I don't know if I'm refreshed or not. I don't know. But I'm very thankful for the last two weeks. Thankful to Mark for preaching two weeks ago. Antonio last Sunday. Glad to be back in the saddle. We have about seven weeks to go until school is back at it and we launch really in earnest our ministry here. So, let's finish up this series, this blessed series again. This is a sermon series that not only we are doing, but 10 or 11 other churches around our city, to some extent or another, are taking their people through. 
this blessed series. Trying to encourage us and train us with these simple, I can do that, missional practices. The first, just to remind us, is to begin with prayer. Having, go ahead, the next slide is, begin with prayer. Having begun to identify those people in our circle, I have a circle, you have a circle where you live, work, play, or passion. Having identified those people in your circle that are far from God, begin with prayer. Pray for divine opportunities. Pray for yourself, love, compassion, courage, and clarity. Pray for them. God will give them soft hearts to receive the gospel. Just begin to pray for lost people in your life. You can do that. Second, listen with care. We ask good questions and we seek to listen with care. Really listening for where is God at work? Where is God at work? We want to understand and truly be interested in people's struggles and pains and challenges and dreams and hopes and joys that may give us an opportunity to speak of God's love. Third, we want to eat together. Eating a meal together really opens up opportunities to love others, to hear from them, to listen to them. I wasn't here when Mark preached, and I didn't have a chance to listen to his sermon, but I wanted to show you a brief video of a lady named Rosaria Butterfield. She wrote a book that just came out this year called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And it's a book, do not read it, unless you really want to be challenged. I've gotten a handful of chapters into it, and it's very, very powerful. She was a university professor, she was lesbian, she was hard against Christ in his gospel, she wrote an op-ed, I think it was in the New York Times, about angry Christians, and a Presbyterian pastor wrote about invited her to their home, and began to have Rosaria into their home week after week after week, to just love her, to get to know her, listen to her, and through the influence of that hospitality, led her to faith in Jesus. She's now the wife of a Presbyterian minister herself, and she practices hospitality off charts, probably to an extent that none of us would, but her book is really, really good. Let's watch this quick video just to get a feel for her and her ministry. Start over and maybe this is not How long will it take, Justin? You think? Hospitality is biblically speaking, love of the stranger. So, translate that to a Greek word, palios, and what hospitality is not is fellowship. There's nothing wrong with fellowship. We love fellowship. We love having our friends over who think the way we do and are safe and and we can just catch up right where we left off, but that's not actually hospitality. Hospitality has the stranger in mind. 
because we were once strangers to the Lord. So that's what hospitality is. Radically ordinary hospitality is a, 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 a way of life that sees every day as an opportunity to practice hospitality from right where you are. So you don't actually have to be somebody else to do this. You have to be you. You know, hospitality is a, it's a universal command uniquely applied. And I think that we all need to think about how we're all needed. There's, there's only one you, and you will apply this differently than I will, and that's okay. But nobody gets a free pass. You don't get to not ever practice hospitality. Now, there are seasons when we're going to ebb and flow, but if it's a lifestyle of refusal, that's called sin. Strong word there. What I like that she says there is it's a universal command. Does that mean what she means by that is it's for all of God's people? University, but that it may show up differently in every one of our lives. All of us are meant to live hospitably, to love and to strength. Different from fellowship. I love that distinction that she makes. A lot of times we think we have our Christian friends over for practicing hospitality, and in a sense we are, but that's maybe more fellowship, as she would see it. Scripture would see hospitality is the love of strangers, the one who's far from God. Having them into your home or taking them out for coffee, or maybe it's even at work. Hey, let's go get a meal together. Visiting, listening, loving, and caring for the Lord's sake. So begin with prayer, listen with care, eat together. Number four, serve in love. And Antonio did a wonderful job. Last week in Philippians 2, showing us Jesus, who has served us so well, and who says, have this mind in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Do the same. Begin with prayer, listen with care, eat together, serve in love. B-L-E-S, but you can't spell blessed with just one S. There's one more. That's the final S. It's share your story. But as God opens the doors, He gives us courage, we're called to share the story of God and His grace towards us and His grace towards any and all come to him. I'm going to briefly show you an overview of Matthew chapters 1 through 4. And hopefully you'll enjoy this and the point will be made. Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. Probably the big idea for his Jewish audience is if Jesus is the king, where is the kingdom? And Matthew writes to that Jewish audience to demonstrate that indeed Jesus is the king, the Messiah. And that his kingdom has come in a form they didn't understand. That's what Matthew 13 is all about, those kingdom parables. It will come in all of its fullness when he returns again 
In chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, we see the genealogy of Jesus, and probably at its core, Matthew is writing to show that Jesus is a descendant of David, a descendant of Abraham. He has the royal pedigree to be the Messiah. And in chapter 1, verse 18, down through 25, we see the birth of Jesus, that it was a miraculous conception of the Holy Spirit, and then even before he was born, the angelic word about this man's mission. Verse 21, Mary will bear a son. You'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what this Messiah will come to do, to save his people from their sins. And in chapter 2, after his birth, we see two responses to Jesus put one right up against the other. The one response is the Magi who come from the east and they come to seek the Savior and to worship Him. The other response is that of Herod, who when he hears that a baby has been born who is king of the Jews, that is a threat to him and he seeks to kill Christ. So we read chapter 2 and we're left to answer the question, are we thrilled at Jesus Christ or threatened by him? Is it our desire to worship the king? Or if we could, to kill him? Jesus in chapter 3 is all grown up now. And the forerunner, John the Baptist, comes on the scene preparing the people. In chapter 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's calling upon the people of Israel to confess their sins and to repent from their sins, to get ready for the Lord to bear fruit in keeping with that repentance, lead a new kind of life in relationship to this coming one. And in chapter 3, verse 13 and following, we then see Jesus come on the scene. Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent Jesus, saying, I have need to be baptized by you. I'm the sinner here. I need the cleansing. And do you, Jesus, come to me for baptism? And Jesus answered and said, Permit it at this time. For in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted it. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Again, we see the Trinity here. Jesus being baptized, the Holy Spirit anointing him, the Father speaking. Chapter 3. You've confessed yourself a sinner. You come with a repentant heart. You've been changed. Are you bearing fruit in keeping with that repentance in relationship to Jesus? Because he is the spirit-anointed, well-pleasing son of the Father. Chapter 4. 
before his ministry will really get underway, can he pass the test that Adam failed? Adam was tempted to sin, and Adam fell. If Satan can get Jesus to fall, then this entire work of redemption is cut off from the very beginning. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Jesus said, It's written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Let's try it. See. The devil took him into the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you. On their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Probably Satan has the idea of Jesus coming up to the top of the temple in front of all the people. Leap off. The angels of God will usher you down and you will be praised by all the people. Jesus said, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the work of God on the test. Strike two. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, go, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. Behold, the angels came and began to minister. Chapter 4, 1 through 11. Is Jesus worthy to be followed? He took a duel with the devil in the wilderness and prevailed. Where Adam and every other person throughout history has failed. Not this one. Verse 12. Now when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. So John the Baptist has been taken in because of his preaching of righteousness. Jesus withdraws up into the northern parts of Israel, into Galilee, leaving Nazareth, where he had grown up. He came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, by Galilee, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. Those who were sitting in the land in shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. So up into the northern regions of Israel, where there was much greater Gentile populations, Probably some more syncretism with the Jewish people who lived up there along with the Gentiles and their false religions. The land of darkness. And into that darkness comes the light of Christ. Jesus proclaimed to them, from that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, this is early on in the ministry of Jesus. Matthew puts it together. We're just getting started. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, 
Simon, who was called Peter, Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So, Peter and Andrew, fishing for fish all their life. Now Jesus says to them, Follow me. No longer are you going to fish for fish. You're going to fish for men. Some of you may wonder, why do we call that room over there 419? Matthew 419. We want to follow Jesus and help others do the same. We want to follow Jesus. Fish. Amen. Immediately they left their nets and followed it. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Maybe with the same, hey, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I've often wondered, I wonder what Jesus may have said to Matthew, the tax collector. Simon, the political zealot. Not so sure, but I wonder how Jesus would contextualize it to you. To these fishermen, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. I don't know what he would say to a bunch of oil guys. Maybe you've been thinking up. What would Jesus say to you? Call you to follow into a life of mission. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed. Jesus, apparently, knew the plan. The plan would be about three years of public ministry, teaching, miracles, and then a rejection by the Jewish leadership handed over to the Gentiles, crucified, to bear the sins of his people, rise from the dead in defeat of sin, death, and hell forevermore, then ascend into heaven to his Father's right hand, place of power and authority, then to pour forth his Spirit into the lives of his people, that they might carry on the work for centuries to come. From the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus said, hey, come follow me, learn from me, and I'm going to make you a fisher. Certainly they did some fishing while Jesus, some fishing of men while Jesus was still around, but I think he had particularly in mind Having died and risen, Matthew chapter 28, the last paragraph of the book, as they gathered to him and he gave them those final instructions before he ascended into heaven. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. Go therefore and fish for men. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We begin with prayer. We listen, we care, we eat together, we serve in love, we share our story. Say our story, talking about the gospel story and how it came to rest in our lives and how it can come to rest in anyone's life. The reality is for all of us who are here, who are Christians, come from different places, seeing different things, all kinds of different experiences. Some of us young, some of us old, some of us men, some of us women. Some of us rich, some of us poor, some of us handsome, some of you humble. Some smart, some not so smart. Some from the wrong side of town, some from the right side. Some from America, some from places all over the world. But for every single one of us who know Christ as Savior, at the core of the story is the same. God in his greatness of us and of sin and, and longing hearts. As God the Holy Spirit began to call us, some of us were longing for unconditional love that we could find. Others of us, just a, a real sense of the sinfulness of our soul and need of forgiveness. Only one who knew where I've been, what I've done. Some of you maybe just a longing for purpose in life, just something that gets beyond the, the gerbil wheel of suburban, suburban Houston. Is this all that life is? The American dream of money and a bigger house and a bachelor's column, newer this and newer that. It's got to be more than that. Some of you. Maybe it was answers to life's deepest questions. Just who you are. You wonder where I come from. Why am I here? There's history. Some of you have a longing for presence. Some of you struggle with loneliness. God and the gospel of Jesus, the core of it, taking a sinner. And reconciling you to himself, having forgiven you, adopted you into his family. And then for some of you, the greatest thing was the love of God. Searching for love in all the wrong places is found in the grace and the love of God. Again, some of you, whose purpose in life, having been forgiven of your sins and reconciled to God, you become Begin to read his word and you realize, man, there's a whole lot to life that goes above and beyond right? glorious things, eternal things, the word of God and souls of people. I want to live that. For some of you, it was that you'll never be alone again. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you always, even to the end. 
some of you, it was answers to life's plaguy questions. Having been reconciled to God, forgiven of your sins, adopted into the family, you begin to read his word and realize there is truth to be found in God. You've got a story. All of us who know Jesus as Savior, we have a story. It's unique. In many ways, it's the same. We all ended up at the foot of the cross. And we found forgiveness. And we were reconciled to God, adopted into his family, and then ministered to by him through his word and his spirit and his people in, in a thousand different unique ways. Every one of us needs to be able to tell our story. Your life before Christ, how you came to Christ, and how it's changing your life today. Tomorrow I'm going to email all of you all who are part of our church email list some tools for you to begin to think about your own story how you can put it together if you've never been able to do that. It's how do you share your testimony? How do you share your story? A lot of us tend toward one wing of the plane and not two. Howard Hendricks, favorite prophet at Dallas Seminary, was asked by a student one day, hey prof, which is more important as I try to live on mission with Jesus. The life I live or the words I speak. I looked at that young man and I said to him, which is more important? The left wing of an airplane or the right wing of an airplane? They're both. We tend toward one wing of the plane, right? We love verses like Matthew chapter 5. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Yes, amen. I want to walk with Jesus. I'm going to be filled with the Spirit. I'm going to live a distinct life and people can watch my life Hopefully they'll glorify God who's in heaven. Or 1 Peter 2, keep your behavior excellent among the unbelievers so that the thing in which they slander you is an evildoer. You're a Christian. They may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Yes, we love that verse too. I live the power of the Spirit, a distinctive life in my neighborhood, in my workplace, where I play, those places I'm passionate about. Keep my behavior excellent. They can see my good works and glorify my Father. We love Titus 2. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters and everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering or stealing, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. Yes, I'll live a godly life and that will adorn that will make attractive the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. We love that wing of the plane. 
demonstrate the gospel, to display the gospel, to live lives that authenticate and make, authenticate and make the gospel attractive. But of course, the other way is the words you speak. Not merely to demonstrate, but to communicate. Not merely to display, but to declare. The life I live, the words I speak. The gospel is news. It's what God did some 2,000 years ago in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. What he did has ramifications that have been running for centuries now. But people must hear it. They must hear what God did and have it explained so that they can understand it and by His grace believe. Romans 10, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without preaching. How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. May God help us all. Week one, I think it was, I shared from Pastor John Piper. One of the phrases he used was a durable difference. We all want to make a durable difference with our lives. Not waste them, but make a durable gospel difference. I think all of us who know Christ can say, yes! How do I do that? Give me some simple ways to do that. Make a list. Begin with prayer. Listen with care. Eat together. Serve and love. Share God, thank you for these six weeks. Pray that they will have been fruitful in our lives here at Redeemer and all over our city. God, would you raise up the people who see that the fields are white text we began with weeks ago. Jesus having spent time with the woman at the well and then turning his attention to his disciples and saying the fields are white for harvest. Others have sown we get to reap since you. you have Lord, help us. We all need encouragement in this. It's not easy for us. We get scared. We get busy, distracted, so many things. Lord, would you keep this in front of us? Would you do a miracle in our hearts? We want to live to 
fish for men, fish for women. We would want to live to help others follow Jesus in greater ways than we ever have. That's a prayerful people, a listening people, an eating people, a serving people, a sharing people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.